Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I spoke to the two people behind a brand new magazine. Petrika Mogosh and Laura Naum are the co-founders of Kayet, a thick book-like journal telling neglected or unheard stories from Eastern Europe. They're based in Bucharest, but they were over here in London dropping off copies of the magazine with shops, so they called in at Somerset House to speak about their experiences as first-time magazine makers. Of course, it's very common for independent publishers to focus on underrepresented stories. That's something we see again and again across all sorts of genre. But I was really interested to hear the way their Eastern European heritage is informing their particular approach. For example, Petrika speaks about the heritage of Samizdat literature in Eastern Europe, so the copying and distribution of text banned by the state, and how that gives print a particularly radical set of associations even today. And also hearing about how the Romanian government is constantly shifting while more westernised consumerism and individualism are introduced to the culture helps to explain why they've devoted this first issue to community and the idea of bringing people together. It was lovely to meet them and their magazine is a really beautiful, carefully considered piece of work. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with a pair of first-time magazine makers. All right, so I'm here with Petrika and Laura. Welcome, you two. Hello, Steve. Very, very nice to, to, to have us here. Thanks for coming over. And I have a magazine in front of me, which we have established is called Cahiers. Yeah. yeah. Cahiers. 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 There we go. Okay, Cahiers. It's not the French pronunciation. No, 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 okay, Cahiers. So tell us, what is this magazine all about? Well, the magazine is basically about Eastern European encounters. So we, we, we sought to, to have a, a platform, a physical platform where neglected or ignored or uh, unheard, previously unheard narratives to be, to be actually listened to and read about and uh, basically to give a voice to, to, these, uh, to, these, uh, to these stories about Eastern Europe. Because every time we encounter the independent magazines or independent uh, bookstores, the main concentration was on this Anglo-Saxon part of the world. And we thought that uh, Eastern Europe also deserved uh, uh, a, a means of expression. Mm-hmm. And so the, so the magazine is made in Bucharest? Yeah. And yeah. is that where you're from? Yeah, we're both based in Bucharest, Bucharest at the moment, yeah, yeah. after various uh, experiences abroad. I think that th- these experiences also helped us uh, see this sort of gap in the, in the market, so to speak. So, uh, for instance, I did my BA in the up 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 northwest uh, at University of Liverpool. Okay. Did uh, media communications and uh, popular music. Mm-hmm. So sort of joint honors uh, degree, and then we moved to the Netherlands together uh, in Rotterdam, mm-hmm. where I did a media and business uh, MA. Mm-hmm. And Laura. I studied cultural economics. Okay. I did my BA in Romania, studied economics, so I'm yeah more like a the more cerebral part of the of the project, I think, <laughs> you know, one with the finances and everything. But yeah. So you're the publisher. You're the the writer editor. We both edited the text. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And w- can I ask? Are you two together? Yes, yeah, yes, so yes. We were okay, so you're another of these crazy couples who yeah. decide that you're going to make a magazine together yeah, and ruin our personal life. <laughs> <laughs> 
That sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to read to you from uh, your own manifesto because mm. I love it when a magazine has a manifesto. And I think there's something here about the, the, the I guess, the urgency mm. of what you're doing. So you say, this is a journal of Eastern European encounters that seeks to be more than just a mere signal from the periphery, essentially to move beyond a purely anecdotal understanding of Eastern Europe. Now, why is that important now? Well, I think that, uh, as, as I said before, there is this lack of presence. But besides that, there is also uh, uh, a trend of standardizing and uniformizing communities and individuals and classifying them based on, on I don't know, uh, eth ethnicity, nationalities, uh, the color of their skin and so on. So I suppose that we, we seek to tackle these issues and to... to to basically look at, into nuances rather than in, uh, to have an overview of, of, a, of a region. So, and besides that, there's also the socio-political climate that, that tells us and urges us to look into how are people uh, getting by in, in a neglected area and how are artists and cultural practitioners uh, working and uh, making a living in precarious conditions. Mm. Um, so that's why we, we also see it as a sort of vault of archival documents or a, I don't know, a, maybe we see it to have a sort of archival quality to it. To, to, so we, we also saw it from the beginning to, to have this potential of, uh, of you being able to open it in five years time and also to find the relevant and thematic uh, issues in, in it. And, and so is this then a reason for printing? Because, I mean, the, so one thing print does very well is last. It, it yeah, hangs around yeah. for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, you could say that now everything lives on the internet for, forever. But at the same time, to have it physically in your hand, I think that really helps the, the cause. And, of course, let's, let's not also forget about the regions past with... Uh, with uh, where the value of printed content with Samizdat literature was a, a sharp means of uh, of dissidence against the against the state before 1989. So I think that there is also this uh, legacy of copying, distributing, and writing about uh, the experiences that we also try to to uh, to follow and to con to continue actually. So of course, print is a very political art and was and will continue to be in, in Eastern Europe and I suppose that now perhaps everywhere around the world. And I think we're living in a, a really interesting time for this now because as you say print has this radical history mm. but nowadays it's so much more available to someone like you. The, the, I mean I, I was reading a history of the Russian Revolution recently mm. and was really struck by how so many of the, uh, the Bolsheviks um, were publishers, they, but that meant that they owned a press, or they, you know, they literally had the machinery mm. to produce stuff. And of course, these days you don't need to own a press; you don't yeah. need to yeah. own the machinery yeah. to do this. So, I guess it means that you're able to put your message out f way more freely than was possible, yeah. well, certainly a hundred years ago, but actually even thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I think we we rely on this advancement of uh, technology and. I think uh, the, the friendliness of the people to actually c come together and help you in, in these situations that, that also uh, improved our connections with, with, uh, with just the, the physical format itself.
So who, who have you had coming forward and helping you? Well, I think that from the very beginning, it was mostly our close friends mm-hmm. that uh, really yeah. believed Parents. in, yeah, and, and <laughs> family, of course, family, yeah. that really trusted in, uh, in the project and its, uh, uh, I think, viability, because there were moments, really uh, struggling uh, times when, when we were pretty sure that this was n- never going to happen. I think it took us uh, more than 12 months, 12 months yeah, to, to actually, actually do it, it, it yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. to, to manage to actually have it physically in our hands. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think also the good response that we got from the people when we set out our call for entries, we got a really positive response. We got a lot of text and a lot of visual material and we were really surprised by that and that made us move forward because we we uh, made a promise to the people that we're going to do it, so we didn't give up and we... Uh, I think <laughs> it was the sort of unwritten agreement that if we take on your text, we have to make sure that everything is going to look good and that you're going to be represented by the object you're going you're gonna to have your text in. Absolutely, because it's a commitment. It's, yeah. A, yeah. it's a commitment to those. And so are, the, are these people in Eastern Europe who were responding to your call? Yeah, but they, they didn't come just from Eastern Europe. And that, yeah. that was the huge surprise for us because we had texts from New Zealand or the US or the United Kingdom, quite, quite yeah. a lot of them, or Sweden. So they were basically people who were able to write in English and they have either encountered the Eastern European uh, narratives or they have actually visited the, the region. So I, I think that was one of the, the main positive aspects of the call because it was so open to everybody. It wasn't just about us talking about ourselves and ranting uh, over our own, uh, I don't know, uh, negative parts of, the, of our own history and present. I think it, and this also, I think, grants the publication also a, a sense, a certain degree of objectivity, because it's not just us, but also it's a. I think it's it's basically more people, more standpoints, tackling the same issue from multiple angles. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the name. So we, we've mm. established it's it's yeah. Kayet. Yeah. Yeah. So the to, where does this come from? Yeah. Well, we we as I said before we. We thought of it to, as a as an archival material, as a do- document, basically. So we get the name from the easternite version of the French "caille," as you as you <laughs> anticipated yeah. at the beginning, which basically means notebook. And we see it as a forever changing, really fluid uh, material that uh, that is a perpetual work in progress, if you will, um, because basically in a notebook you can always find places that we can change or or erase and rewrite over it so it's i think it's a it's a continuous work in progress i think that would be the best way to put it and and there must be some cultural statement here as well so if you're making a a magazine of the eastern european experience and you're using a a word from french Mm. but in the eastern european version of it the Maybe something about like you know who has the authority to speak on exactly. this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a very good point because we one of our uh, of our main objectives was also to counterbalance this uh, this uh, spread or dissemination of knowledge in in this from the spectrum of Western Eastern, and I think by referencing a, a Western uh, element in our name, we not not only we maybe have more access to to Western audiences. 
but uh, I think that we also make a statement about the West being able to to transform itself according to Eastern settings, if that is. Yeah. So yeah. And so, is this something then that you see happening before you now? So, I mean, the I mean, when when I think of and the reason I was asking earlier about you know why make this now, you so you haven't uh, mentioned Brexit, you haven't mentioned Donald Trump. Mm. Yet we all know that there are these pervading forces at the moment towards uh, nationalism and, and kind of a, a, a withdrawing within ourselves. That feels like there must be something of that in there. Yeah, the, we actually have a very interesting article in our first chapter, which is about the identity of Eastern Europeans. It's called Being in Easternness. So we, we basically talk about the, the existence of an Eastern European paradigmatic identity, uh, this ontological sphere of, uh, of how uh, an Eastern European person feels. And in this chapter we have uh, an article by a London-based performance company called There There. Um, and they called Eastern European for dummies. And they also t- they actually tackle this uh, European identity issue from the perspective of, uh, of uh, being a British uh, citizen or from the perspective of uh, post-Brexit uh, referendum uh, life for Eastern Europeans in, in Britain. So I think, I, I think that that article is one of my favorite ones because uh, they, they do a really good job at, uh, at making fun of these stereotypes that uh, not only British people but I suppose that uh, Everybody has about Eastern Europeans. I don't know tracksuits and uh, Slav squatting, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's I think it's a, it's a great mixture of uh, of humor and uh, also really uh, witty insight in, in that in that article. So, so I definitely recommend it. So so you, oh well, thank you very much. So <laughs> you, you've got the the humor in there. Now there's obviously also like some uh, some very serious points that are underpinning mm. all of this. Yeah. If you succeed with this magazine. What does success look like? What, what do you hope that this will achieve? Well, yeah, I think that's a very important and tough question to answer because we, we are aware of the fact that it is actually quite impossible to change, to, to, to produce social change or political change only just by, uh, by making a magazine about the region. But I think it really opens up a, a new sphere of discussion and uh, it includes many voices uh, that uh, that have something to, to say. So success for us, I think, would be would be, of course, from a logistics sense, would be to actually go on and, and publish print the second issue. Second issue. <laughs> yeah. But on a more symbolic uh, dimension, I think that success can be measured uh, in uh, in a change in perception regarding Eastern Europeans, or uh, I don't know, a shift in how how. Uh, how uh, mainstream media talks about Eastern Europeans, or um, basically to just challenge these stereotypes and these uh, these uh, um, p- problematic assumptions that are being made regarding the region. Mm-hmm. And you're here in London at the moment. You have the archetypal big heavy bag full of magazines. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that you're you're doing your distribution at the moment. You're yeah. taking these magazines out, and what sort of response are you getting so far? Well, yeah, I think we mostly yeah, had positive, 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 positive responses. responses. Yeah. 
Um, but I think it's also this this fact of actually getting to meet the the owners of the shop and the 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 people that you know from the internet basically and that you've read of and heard their uh, interviews and so on that uh, I think it's a really nice contact that we we have the opportunity to make yeah I think it's uh, it's this this uh, DIY way of uh, distributing our our magazine also helped us go past our fears I think regarding how the or worries or doubts that we have about our own project because I don't know people talked really nicely about it and they we were pretty impressed with uh, I mean they were not ex- expecting it to be um, so thick <laughs> so that was the first reaction and uh, looking through it they were really impressed that it was really well made but we really wanted to make a, a magazine that uh, stood out and also uh, make something uh, that uh, has a quality to it because when we chose the paper and everything and also the plastic sleeve that's uh, also an interesting story for that <laughs> uh, we really wanted to have a, also be a beautiful object mm-hmm. well, you, you can't just say there's an interesting story and then not tell me the story yeah. so what's well, the story of the plastic sleeve yeah the plastic sleeve is a reinterpretation of our um, childhood I think because we were obligated to put plastic sleeves on uh, our notebooks in our books to just to protect them and uh, I think that's what we wanted to do with having a notebook without the plastic cover was a big no no really really so so even having the kayak without one that's again we, we had to do it so so, th- so you look at this and you see like a, a, a sense of nostalgia for yeah. your school yeah. days when... Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I think even the cover the, draws attention to these aspects of nostalgia and uh, cultural memories and, uh, and I don't know, a sort of archival, uh, archival feeling to it. Paint uh, on photographs, I think that's, a, that's an interesting combination of, uh, of uh, I don't know, mixed media. Yeah, old with new. Yeah, all, all good new. And so, looking back to those days when you were, you know, a, your children in in Bucharest, life must have changed a lot in that time. Where do you see things going now? Oh, that, that that's the question that uh, has been on everybody's mind for the past few years in this uh, unsettled times of. Uh, yeah, I think it's difficult to answer that question. I mean, everything is. Uh, Changing. Uh, also, the go- Romanian government is changing <laughs> every, year. Every, every year, basically. So it's difficult to to make a prediction on that. But I think uh, um, there's a positive feeling around also in uh, big cities in Romania, which have started to develop more and more. And uh, yeah, I think. Uh, I would like to believe that is we're going in a positive, yeah. uh, in a positive. But way. I think that's why also we chose to focus on communities for the first issue, because I think it also speaks for this sense of uh, getting together and togetherness, and uh, and how important it actually is in these in these times to to come together as a, I mean not just as a, as a nation but as people regardless of any of any differences, together. Because I imagine that, so again, thinking back to then, you had structures and things in society 
that were, whether it was the church or maybe it was a workplace or something that were all about bringing people together. Yeah. And one of the big criticisms of the way that we live now is that actually we don't have that yeah. anymore. The people are individuals and that is very positive in lots of ways, but it also leads to problems. So you see this magazine as a way to help to bring people together. Yeah. Yes. So I think it's also uh, a way of going back in time and uh, getting the, the positive aspects of our own lived experiences and histories as, as a collective and to, to I, I think to basically uh, give hope to people that by, by standing together against, I don't know, uh, neoliberal politics and, uh, and uh, I don't know, in individualism, I think that's the only way forward for us and I, I suppose that's not only applicable to Eastern Europe really. Absolutely. Well, look, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do with this and where you take it next. So thank you very much for coming over. Well, thank th thanks a lot for your time and, uh, and for, for having us here. Okay, that's it for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Petrika and Laura for stopping in while they're in London. And thanks to you for listening. I'm recording this on Friday the 17th of November and our Stack Awards ceremony is happening on Monday the 20th. So if all goes well, next week's episode of the podcast will be the audio from that night with all the winners' speeches and whooping and cheering and all that stuff. If you can't wait that long, we'll be broadcasting the awards on Facebook Live. So follow us over at facebook.com forward slash stack magazines if you'd like to see it all as it happens on Monday night. And of course, watch the stack blog for the full list of winners and commended titles. So there's a lot going on. Maybe I'll see you in person next week if you're coming to the awards, or you might see me on Facebook, or failing that, we'll be back with another episode of the podcast next week.